Aloha, and welcome to Thumbing Through Yesterday, the podcast where we pull our favorite books down off the shelf, dust them off, and remind ourselves why it is that we love them so much. My name is Tom Galley, and joining me today, we've got Tony Pasculi. Thanks again, as always. And today's episode, our ninth episode, we are talking about a Stephen R. Donaldson book, The Real Story. This is one of my selections. It's, uh, so I think this is the first book that I haven't read in advance of this. Um, so uh, a couple of things. Uh, one is I'm going to be really curious to know why this is your favorite. It, it wasn't a favorite. I didn't particularly enjoy this one. But that's okay, because that's not what we're here to discuss, whether a book uh, works or doesn't, or it's, it's why it's our favorite. It wasn't one of mine, uh, but I'm curious to see why it is one of yours. Um, and then I think the second thing we need to talk about up front is content warning for <laughs> sexual assault. Uh, it's a big theme of the book, and so I assume it's going to come up as we talk about the book. That, that is completely fair. This, this is not, this book would be NC-17 were it a film. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So why is it a favorite book? That's, this is interesting, uh, uh, in a way, I feel bad talking about this, but uh, I don't know. Donaldson does self-loathing and broken people in a way that nobody else does, and maybe nobody else attempts. Um, I think that's fair. And yeah. Yeah, the, the, the characters, the three characters in this, well, we only really get to know Angus and Morn to a lesser degree. We don't really get to know Nick yet. Yeah. But we are talking about some profoundly damaged, profoundly broken people um, one of whom is driven by sheer terror and self-loathing, and the other one who is driven by, uh, you know, broken pride and self-abhorrence. Um, and like you said, this this book is just replete with sexual abuse and physical abuse and, and all of the worst things one person can do to another. And as I'm reading it, I was like, I know Tony's going to ask me, why is this a favorite <laughs> book? And how am I going to answer? How am I going to justify this? Because the character, the and, you know, Mainly it's about Angus. This first book is mainly about Angus Thermopylae, and he is reprehensible in every way it's possible to be reprehensible. Um, but yet there's something that's incredibly compelling about this story to me. Uh, and, you know, if, if this was it, you know, when, when uh, Donaldson set out to write this, he set out to write a novella, mm -hmm. and his intention was, uh, if you've read the afterward, he's trying to do an aesthetically perfect thing, where one of the characters is a hero, one of them is a villain, one of them is a victim, but they all migrate positions. Yes, and, I, uh, I did read the afterward. In fact, the afterward uh, was my favorite part of the book, uh, <laughs> which, which I don't mean to sound uh, snide or sarcastic. I thought the afterword was genuinely compelling, and that what that Stevenson's or Donaldson's vision for what he's trying to do with this series is is magnificent. It's incredible, uh, and I and I love his vision for the series. And it almost makes me want to continue and read the series, except that I dislike <laughs> this character so almost, much right. that I'm not going to. <laughs> well, he, uh, I love his afterwards or his forwards when he writes them. Um, I think Donaldson is takes one of the most intellectual approaches to novel writing of anyone that I've ever heard reflect on novel yeah. writing. But he says in his, you know, when I finished the first draft, I realized immediately that what I had written was by no means aesthetically perfect. My work had fallen below my original tensions rather farther than usual. So he had actually set this aside and intended never to publish it uh, until somewhere down the road he realized 
the problem was there was more to the story. Yeah. Um, so there are four more books of this, and you know, this is a tiny book. This is 200 pages, you know, just 200 plus. Um, there's four more books in the 500, 600 page range that come after this. Uh, and, and this, the real story barely sets the stage for what's coming. Um, so by itself, you know, when I finished reading this, I, I had a little bit of a, I don't know, I felt a little bit flat. If I didn't know what was coming next, it might well be that I didn't want to pick it up again, but I know what's coming next. I've read the rest of the series and it gets me excited to, and I, again, I, I say this carefully, uh, <laughs> it gets me excited <laughs> to see what's coming. I think that's, I think that's legitimate. I think, you know, a lot of times a favorite book uh, is one that is part of a favorite universe or a favorite series. And it's just, just inextricably bound up with the whole rest of the, of the sequence. And so if you, if you pull something, one part of it out of sequence and look at it, it's like, does it really stand up? Maybe it doesn't, but for you, it does because you are invested in that whole thing. I think, um, you know, a book we're going to talk about next time is uh, is the first book in a ten book sequence, mm-hmm. and it's it's going to suffer in a similar way. I think. Well, I mean, we we had that when we talked about Ender's Game. We have it when we talked Absolutely. about The Hobbit. We had it when yeah. we talked about Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. All of these are introductions. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, they're they're novels in their own right, but they also are introductions to larger worlds, larger universes. Um, but yeah, this is, I mean, in a way, this is Donaldson doing what Donaldson does well. I mean, he's hes really thoroughly exploring something that maybe we don't care to have really thoroughly explored. You know, in Thomas Covenant, you know, it's the inner turmoil of life as a leper. Um, that's really not something I ever intended to spend much time reflecting on. And in this one, we have somebody who, well, I mean, there's, there's nothing redeemable about Angus. He's a rapist. He's a thief. He's a murderer. Um, he's a traitor. He's slovenly. So I think we have to talk about Thomas Covenant a little bit in, in counterpoint to this story, uh, which is that, um, I loved the Thomas Covenant series when I read it in high school because the world building was fantastic and the, the lore and, and everything about it was, was just incredible and compelling except for the central covenant central character who I hated for exactly that reason. I just like, Oh my God, this story would be so much better without Thomas covenant. Of course, Donaldson couldn't have written it without covenant because he was central to his conception of the whole idea. But, uh, but for me, he was a drag on the story. Um, yeah, I, I liked everything else he was doing around that. And then this book, uh, suffers in contrast because it's so focused on Angus. It's just like, it's like if you cut out all of the fantasy elements of Thomas Covenant and just, and just had his angst about having leprosy, that's what this book is for me. Yeah. I, I can totally see that. <laughs> and again, if, uh, if this was it, if there were no more to it, um, it's something I would have read, processed, and probably set aside. And I, you know, I yeah. doubt I would have revisited it with any, any frequency, if ever. Um, and reading it, you know, there's so much that just doesn't get even scratched, doesn't even get introduced. Because, I mean, at the time he wrote this, you know, he thought this was a one and done. Yeah. Right. Um, the universe that gets inspired by this, um, and, and much like Thomas Covenant, it is just epic. It is grand uh, in the sense that it's phenomenally large and phenomenally convoluted and has ridiculous numbers of players and ridiculous um, points of view. Um, but... There was somewhere I was going with this, and I've forgotten where. <laughs> well, well, let me ask you this. Uh, 
in terms of the follow-on books, because I, like I say, the the afterword really intrigued me. The afterwards, uh, by the way, is 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 uh, Donaldson basically summarizing Wagner's Ring Cycle, <laughs> uh, which which made me which I was not particularly familiar with either. I only know Ride of the Valkyries from Apocalypse Now. That is that's the limit mm-hmm. of my knowledge about Wagner's Ring, uh, and so that mythos is just really rich and and complex. And it got me really invested in that. And I would love to see how this plays out over the next four books. But but one of the things and it about this again, Angus, it's not that he's a bad person. I'm 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 fine getting invested with bad people. It's that we spend so much time inside Angus's head. And that is an uncomfortable place to be. That's an uncomfortable place for Angus to be. Mm-hmm. Angus doesn't like being in his head. Uh, this and, is true. And I don't like being there with him. Um, so do the next four books, are they also, are they so, do they open up more? Do we get to spend well, time you, with other POV you characters? Expand. Yes, you get yeah. to spend time in other broken people's broken heads. <laughs> okay. um, so we spend a lot of time inside uh, Morin's head. We'll spend a lot of time inside Nick Sicorso's head. Um, there's a, a plethora of characters that we'll be introduced to who will spend time in their heads. Um, and then... Externally, there's a really large, complex universe that we will get into. Um, mm. You know, he, he mentions in the in the afterward, um, how do pirates exist? Why do the United Mining Companies police exist? There has to be another force out there. So we'll get introduced yeah. to Forbidden Space and the Amnion, and uh, some I of those curious scariest about space. alien bad guys. Nice ever written. Uh, Forbidden Space gets mentioned a lot, but never actually really explained in this book. It does not. And it's, it's, it's given it's very, cursory treatment, right? It's very evocative. Yeah. All right. Well, I won't ask you to spoil it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, uh, if, if you enjoy the, the style of Donaldson writing, like if you enjoyed Thomas Covenant, um, at least you'll have multiple central characters. So if there's one, Angus, for example, although Angus's character arc is really phenomenal and unexpected um, in the next thousand pages. <laughs> <laughs> I did want to ask you, though, one of the things that you've, you've talked about repeatedly as we've moved through is you like to see authors exploring ramifications of things. You don't really care if it's a real thing or a made-up thing, but you like to see yes. them exploring the ramifications. And I was wondering if you felt like Donaldson rose to that when he's talking about, in particular, the realities of space flight, the realities of um, sensor readings and combat under heavy G and, and such things. I think so. Yeah. I, the, the science fiction aspects of this intrigued me. I really like the idea of, of, uh, gap sickness, uh, and the way that plays throughout and the, what is it? The zone control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Zone implants. Yeah. Zone implants. Yes, that's it. Uh, which are, you know, which is basically, it's a way of taking someone over. Uh, you put an implant into them and you have total control over their, over their free will and humanity. It's a, it's an awful, awful thing, completely in keeping with the character of this book. Uh, and yet in this society, it has a place because sometimes people literally lose their minds through something called gap sickness when they blip through hyperspace or whatever. He doesn't really get into too much detail about what the gap is. Um, and so a zone implant is a necessary thing on any spaceship so that you can stop someone from doing something awful while they're in the throes of gap sickness. Uh, and of course, Angus uses it to awful effect in this mm-hmm. book. Yeah. Everything that you could conceive of being a horrible way to use such a control over a person. Yeah. And this actually is a little bit of a parallel in the, uh, in the second Chronicles of Thomas Covenant, where you have Lyndon Avery discover she has the ability to possess people. 
Um, and she, in fact, actually gets possessed by a... Uh, one of Lord Fowl's servants, Reaver, did they call him that? I think I'm, I'm I think jumping so. things. Is that the second book or the second trilogy? Second trilogy. I didn't read the second trilogy. trilogy. Oh, okay. Yeah. But there's a there's a parallel there where they talk about uh, the evil of possession um, and the zone implant. To me, there's there's a you you robbing somebody of volition and for, forcing them to things to do. You're not actually in their head, but there's. There's a similarity it's, there. It's kind of, uh, well, in Harry Potter, it's one of the unforgivable curses. That's true. Right? That's right. It yeah. is. So. so, yeah, I think it's, you know, and again, reading the afterwards, he claims to have rewritten this <laughs> novella six times. Wow. Um, rewritten it six times, which means seven writings at least, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and still, in, in the rewritings, he talks about he's trying to bring more and more into focus and Nick more into focus. And I really am curious as what the first draft of this looked like, if this has been enhanced to include more Morn and more Nick. Yeah, uh, because it's really, it's really Angus all the time. Yeah, it's 24-7 yeah. Angus. Um, so another thing that I've, so as we, as we go through and look at favorites, uh, one of the things that that it occurs to me that I like that does come up repeatedly is that I like the sort of golden age trope of the competent man. That's, that's who I like in a hero or a protagonist is the person who just sort of like knows what they want. They have a clear agenda and they get shit done. You know, they, they took tensor mm -hmm. high school, tensor calculus in high school <laughs> and they, they're, they MacGyver anything they need to. And they're just, you know, and, and it's funny because Angus does not fall into this category for me, even though he is, uh, he knows what he wants and he gets things done, but he does it not in the vein of a competent man. He does it in the vein of a, of a rat that's scrambling to survive. Um, and so that, so it didn't scratch that itch for me in that same way. Uh, even though he's, you know, he's remarkable at, at just pushing himself to the absolute limit to do what he has to do. Yep. Um, at the same time, I, I found myself, you know, I don't have the respect for him that I do for the character that just sort of goes out and is like good at what they do. It's more like the sort of, it's more the begrudging respect for a cockroach that you're trying to kill that just won't die, you know? <laughs> well, he's a yeah. pretty awful cockroach. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, so his, uh, you know, his answer to being in space with insufficient supplies is not to somehow science things up and make the supplies go farther. His answer yeah. is to find some innocent people, kill them, and take their supplies. Yes. Um, so this in your mind does not qualify as competence. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's like raise raise potatoes, like the guy in The Martian, you know, Mark Watney. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, no, <laughs> no. There's there's no dispute. Angus is a a horrific example of a human being. Um, and again, as as I'm reading this, I always and, and I recognize the feelings reading through it again. I feel bad for the fact that I'm enjoying the read. Mm. It's like I shouldn't be. I shouldn't feel in any way anything positive about being exposed to this, but for some reason, I find the story compelling. Yeah. So, so just to be clear, no judgment on you for liking this book or Donaldson for writing this book. I, I think I think art is or should be mostly beyond reproach in that sort of thing. Uh, I don't I don't think it's it's fair to put moral judgments on people for for creating certain works of art or for enjoying certain works of art. And the reason we enjoy things is complex. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I mean, I enjoy things that make me sad and things that make me angry. Uh, and and it's not it's not Angus's questionable morality that bothers me here. Uh, well, the rape got to me. Uh, yeah. 
But um, um, because I read, you know, I read books with 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 morally. I mean, the next book we're going to talk about has a really morally questionable <laughs> lead character, and that's okay. Um, yeah, but that's somebody that vacillates between something that's <laughs> arguably good and something that's arguably evil. You know, yeah. um, there's no vacillation here. I mean, that Angus has no pure. Or, well, uh, I shouldn't say that. All of Angus's motives are pure, but it's pure self-survival. It's pure selfishness. Um, well, it's pure than, self-loathing and yeah. self-fear. Rather than hinting about the book we're going to talk about next, let's talk about one that's just more obvious, which is The Silence of the Lambs. Mm-hmm. I love reading about Hannibal Lecter. The fact that he's just an absolute psychopath uh, and a cold-blooded killer does not phase me at all. He would torture and consume his victims. Mm-hmm. And, it, and that doesn't... I mean, it makes me queasy when we get into detail, but it doesn't put me off to read it or to enjoy reading it. Uh, But I think one of the big reasons for that is that we don't spend a lot of time inside Lecter's head. We approach him from the outside through the POV of uh, Clarice Starling. And that makes all the difference in the world. And here, Donaldson is thrusting us into the head of this man uh, where he's rationalizing his decisions to himself. And that is the part that distressed me, I think. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, Donaldson, again, in his afterwards, even talks about the fact that he felt a little bit ashamed for a period of time having written this thing. Um, he felt as if he had somehow exposed an inner evil in himself and, and, and would, you know, people that would read it would recognize this about him. Um, he got over it. Yeah, but. as I think he should. I think it's an interesting thing. A lot of, a lot of, um, a lot of writers, I mean, you, you do, you have subconscious biases and, and desires and things, and you write about these things. And, and you wonder, it's like, oh my God, does everybody actually feel this way? Or am I the only one? And here I'm putting it to paper and people are going to know about me. They're going to know these things about me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't think Donaldson has to worry about this because he's clearly, I mean, he does, you know, sort of shift Angus into the quote victim at one point. Um, but, um, but he's clearly, he's clearly an evil man and he's not taking the stance that he's not. Whereas I've read other books by other authors where they put something forward as clearly a good idea where they haven't considered the ramifications ramifications of that idea. And it's like, oh, dude, oh, is that what you really think? I hope you don't really think that because that's awful. Yeah. Yeah. No, he, this is unapologetic exploration of evil, yes. right? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> thorough exploration of evil. Um, I, I will say if you go on to read the rest of the series that Angus's victimhood has not yet begun. Um, the... <laughs> the atrocities that are perpetuated upon him and in the name of good um, are are every bit as appalling as what he has done to mourn, which in terms of structure fits. Yeah. Um, What about mourn? Mourn mourn is really kind of a, a shell of a character, which is not a criticism on the writing because she's kind of a shell of a human being. Uh, because of her gap sickness. I mean, she just, by the time we meet her, she's already been destroyed as a this human being. Yeah. Uh, so we don't really get a chance to know her. She's got some complexity in her actions towards saving Angus at the end. She, she didn't have to do that, um, but we don't dwell on it and we don't get a lot of her interiority. So yeah, I don't, I don't have a lot to say about more, and you would know more than me from the yeah, following books. Yeah, and of, books. Co- of course, as soon as I finished this, the next thing I did was pick up the uh, the f- next book in the series and start reading through <laughs> it. So I have to try to remember where this one stops, you know. Um, but yeah, that uh, 
you've got this bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, drop-dead, gorgeous young woman out on her first patrol with her family in the spaceship, mm -hmm. um, and she kills them all. Yeah. Her very first act under her very first mission is to kill everyone she loves. Um, yeah. You know, and this is the status in which she finds herself when Angus comes. So, yeah, that that evolves interestingly over the next, again, thousand pages. So, okay, so a couple things. Uh, one, so getting back to this idea of favorite books, and I think we, we touched on this, that for you, this is an entry point into a much larger universe. That's one of the reasons it's your favorite. But I think another uh, sort of more generally, the more that an author allows us to return to a world, the more it gives us an opportunity to make that world our favorite world. Like, mm -hmm. like most of the books that I've liked as favorites are ones that are part of series because they're, you know, because there's a limit to how many times you can read a book. But you can go back to that world and read other stories set in that world many, many, many times. And then all of that sort of accrues to the benefit of each of those individual books. Yes, uh, and I would so agree I, with that. Yeah, so they may be operating here for you as well. Um, and, and the same thing with, uh, you know, looking at other Donaldson with Thomas Covenant. Um, actually, one of the interesting things, so there are now three Thomas Covenants, right? The first Chronicles, or the Chronicles, the second Chronicles, and I think he's called the third set, the final Chronicles. Um, but when you return to the land in the second Chronicles, um, it has very little in common with the land that we learned to love in the first Chronicles. It's been, you know, centuries of, of um, abuse under, you know, they don't know it, but under Lord Fowl's power. Yeah. And then likewise, when we come back for the third Chronicles, it is so different from anything that we've seen in the first two Chronicles. So in a way, although it is the same world, it's a completely new same world that you have to, he has to rebuild for us and we have to learn to appreciate that's great. I, I love that. The Narnia books actually do that too, it's, which is interesting. That It's one of the great things about portal fantasies where you have these time slips. And so you go and you can never go back to the place of your of enchantment because mm -hmm. it's, it's shifted under your feet. Uh, yeah, that's great. Um, so there's a couple other things I liked about this. Um, one is that it's that it's space opera, which I space opera I love as a genre. Uh, and there's actual ship-to-ship -ship combat here. There's mm -hmm. pirates. There's miners. It's very much the, the frontier. Uh, that's really exciting. Um, and it starts off in a bar, which is just <laughs> amazing, where it's just, you know, it's like it could have been a saloon in the Old West where all these people who are, who are larger-than-life characters kind of come together and they hang out and they all, they all have this reputation. They know who you can talk to and who to avoid. And I just, that's just a setting that I love. Um, have you read any Mike Resnick? Give me a book. He wrote, oh, he wrote so many that it's hard to. <laughs> hard uh, to name one. Santiago. Uh, he wrote Ivory. He wrote um, Paradise. He wrote The Rootinous, Tootinous Gunslinger and the whole wide galaxy. No, no, none of this is ringing any <laughs> bells, but I do like the sound of that last one. Okay. He wrote, he wrote very much sort of space opera like this, but a little bit friendlier and a little bit more tongue in cheek, but still with that uh, really strong sense of a frontier that like there was a centralized civilized core and that all the sort of weirdos and outlaws migrated to the edge. 
Uh, and that's where everything was just kind of lawless and wild. And that's where all the big adventures were happening. And as you went in, it's just like, that's where you find bureaucrats and accountants and librarians. But as you move out, you find basically it's the old West in space. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's kind of a university tap for a number of different books. And this reminded me of that in a big way. So, yeah. There's definitely a lot of science fiction in this science fiction. There is. And that's, and that's really fun. Yeah. All right. Any final thoughts on? Uh, no, I might do it for me. Yeah. Yeah. So again, this, uh, as a standalone book, uh, I'm realizing this time, and I think I've probably realized this every time I pick it up. I'm, I'm guessing this is my fourth or fifth pass through. Um, as a standalone book, this, uh, this left me wanting. Um, but knowing that it's, it's actually the, the portal into um, a much larger and not any friendlier, I mean, the, the, the larger universe is, you know, 70% terrible things as well, you know. <laughs> but there's, there is some good, there is some light shining in odd places in it. Um, but yeah, um, as I said, as, as soon as I put this down, the next thing I did was I picked up the, the second book in the series. And well, that's what you want, that. right? Yeah. I mean, if you can put the first book down and leave it down, that's no good. You want to be, you want to be launched into the next book and the next book and the next book. Indeed. So, so good job there. Yeah. So I believe I've read everything that Donaldson has published. I'm not going to assert that for sure, but he is definitely on my favorite author's list. Um, you know, he has a book of short stories, which is interesting to read. He, um, in the wow. preface to that, he compares writing a novel to writing a short story in the way you would compare having a, a, um, a light beer to having champagne. Um, and he, he's not the first author I've heard make a similar comparison. He says writing the short story is so much harder than writing a novel. Oh, yes. Because right? with a novel, you've got 500 pages to get your point across. With a short story, you don't. In fact, I think I, I read a preface by Larry Niven that said almost the same thing in almost the same words. But his collection of short stories, uh, it's still very clearly Donaldson. <laughs> hmm. All right. But, uh, yeah, the real story, Stephen R. Donaldson. If you're over 18 and you're looking for a fantastic uh, <laughs> opening to a, a dark and complex and epic universe, uh, you could do worse than starting here. And what's the series called? What's the series title? Um, the Gap series. Right. So each book has got two titles. This is actually the real story, but it's also titled The Gap into Conflict. Right. And then you have the gap into knowledge, the gap into this, the gap into that. Um, but each one also has a separate title. So I'm not really, it's generally referred to as the gap series, though. Okay. All right. So what's Great. up for us next? Up next, uh, we're going to be reading one of my favorite books. This is a Zelazny book called Nine Princes in Amber, which is the first book in a five-book cycle, which was followed by another five-book cycle. Mm -hmm. uh, fantastic uh, fantasy novel. Indeed, co-favorites on this one. Yeah. All right, so we'll see you all in two weeks. See you in two weeks.